not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. Hello, and welcome to the place where the revolution will not be televised. But it may be podcast. I'm John. And I'm Kate. This is the People's Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about episode 11 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, titled The Distance. As usual, we're going to go through what happened in the episode, following whatever tangents take our fancy, and then answer some more general questions at the end. The episode opens inside the barn, and there's a quiet little moment of communal weapon cleaning for everyone. (laughs) And then Maggie and Sasha come in with Aaron, obviously immediately after the end of the last episode. And they've got him captive. He launches into more of his sales pitch, uh, which, although it seems fairly practised, is also a pretty good sales pitch. Mm. He does say mostly the right things. Mm. Throughout the episode, he does creepily keep saying that he's been observing them. Mm. But on the other hand, if he's been observing them for that long and hasn't hurt them, and if his whole line that this is a careful, planned-out community is true, then observing people before approaching them is not the worst plan either, and at least he's being honest about it. Yes. There's always that question that if they had been in his position, what would they have done? Exactly the same thing, probably. Yeah. He talks about the importance of security to his community and the importance of people. And he's about to sort of start singing Kumbaya when (laughs) Rick punches him out. Yeah. Rick has gone directly into defensive mode. He's got some people working on tying up Aaron. He's got others going through his pack to check out what he's got. And everyone else is looking out of the barn in different directions trying to work out if there's anyone in the bushes about to attack them. Yeah. Michonne makes it clear that she is buying what Aaron's selling. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite funny. That wasn't my punch him in the head face or whatever <laughs> it was she said. <laughs> yeah, she specifies, she says, just to be clear, that was my this guy seems alright face. <laughs> <laughs> Although, she's quite the sphinx, so, you know, I would understand. Inscrutable. Yeah, I would understand if Rick was getting her faces mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I thought it was interesting how quickly Rick just went, well, this is clearly all bullshit. Really? I feel that his reaction was entirely appropriate. I thought that if I had been him, even if I thought it was all bullshit, I might have at least polled other people and asked them what they thought. Did you not get the memo about the dictatorship? <laughs> yes, but the dictatorship has a, uh, a mixed history of success. Uh, it's got more success than failure. Yeah. I don't think he is 100% sure this guy is evil, but if you're not 100% sure he's safe, then taking him out of whatever equation might be about to happen, if they're Mm. about to get attacked, having Mm. a guy on the inside who is knocked out instead of having a guy on the inside who is conscious and able to pull shit is a good plan. Sure. I think when they find the flare gun and his continued references to the fact that they've been followed... And so the whole thing may have been very long planned and set up. I think that his defensive pose is probably a prudent one. Well, I, yeah, okay. I think it's understandable. I found myself on Team Michonne pretty quickly. I am in no way surprised. No. <laughs> so once Aaron wakes up again, Rick is asking about how many people are out there. Mm. And again, Aaron's pretty skilled at managing the conversation. Mm. He has a really open conversation about trust. Our two groups don't have trust yet. Mm. Is my answer actually going to do anything for you? Yeah. No, the answer is no. But I did like that Rick still wanted to know what his answer was. Oh, yeah. I did enjoy the... I don't trust anyone who's still smiling immediately after being punched. (laughs) When Aaron turns up smiling and clean and talking, I'm a friend, I know all about you. Mm. Even before the zombie apocalypse, there's a lot of red flags attached to that. (laughs) Yes. So he starts to talk a bit about how he got there, and he mentions that there are cars, and so Michonne offers to go and check out the whole car's part of the story. Mm -hmm. At first it's just her, and Rick's very anti it. Yes. Um, But then Maggie says she'll go, and then Glenn says, well, I'll go with them. Don't worry, Rick. Mr. Skeptical is on the case. I will go with them. I thought it was more a case of I'm never being parted from my true love again. I think it's a heavy <laughs> And a small party is formed. Rick assigns Rosita and Abraham to go with them as well. And they're going to go off and check the cars. But if they're not back in an hour, 
bad things will happen to Aaron. Yes. To the base of his skull. Oh, yes. <laughs> and in the meantime, the rest of the group took the good option of leaving the barn. I'm not that sure about them all splitting up into pairs, although... You know, I suppose it spreads out their ability to all be attacked at once. It's a way to behave mm. unexpectedly if there's a group. I suppose so. I, to be honest, I haven't really given it much thought. Yeah, I like tactics. Clearly. <laughs> On the walk to the cars, Glenn and Michonne are having a conversation. Glenn has instructed the group that if they see anyone of any sort, they should shoot first, ask questions never. <laughs> Michonne is horrified by this suggestion, and Maggie's not that keen on it either. Mm. But again... Erring on the side of prudence, I think, is a good way to describe Glenn and Rick. Yes. The problem is, and I suspect this is what Michonne would have been thinking, if Aaron had been telling the truth and there was one other person out there, it's not inconceivable that person might follow that group, Mm. as indeed was the case, it turned out. It's also not inconceivable that that person might have had an arrangement with Aaron that, you know, if Aaron doesn't come out of the barn after a certain amount of time, they should either go back to you know, Alexandria, or should try and approach the group himself. And so, it's not at all inconceivable that there might be a second approach from the other person out there, in which case, Glenn's plan of just shooting first, and there are no questions, from Michonne's point of view, is not a wise one. Because, at that point, if, you know, the possibility of this safe haven, the possibility that it's real, it's certainly not after they've killed someone from there. So, I understand the whole, yes, Lucian, do we need to be safe thing. It's just that I'm not sure it's... When you've got five people all with guns, it's worth at least asking one question. Or at least instructing one thing. Put down your weapon, that kind of thing first. I understand the thinking. Occasionally, Rick and Glenn's approach is going to either kill an innocent person or keep them out of a safe haven, for however long that safe haven is safe. Mm. But it also means they never, ever, ever get eaten by cannibals. Because mm. that's the other extreme of this. Mm. Again, the reason all of this is interesting is that both positions have merit. Yes. Rick's not acting crazy, and neither is Michonne. No. Michonne also makes reference to all the saving that Rick's group has done. Mm. That in the past, they did take on people, and they did take on her. Crazy lady with a sword. <laughs> I like the reminder about how the group had sort of slowly come together. Well, I think what she was doing was she was saying, look, these people are approaching us in the same way that we have approached individuals in the past to say, well, why don't you join us? Mm. You know, we won't kill you. You'll be better off with us and we'll be better off with you. Yeah. Which is essentially why Aaron's pitch is. We're starting to have characters who have been around long enough and have had character development, have had character depth built into them and have had shared experiences. And this episode... It used a whole lot of that stuff really effectively. Mm. So that, jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, I cared whether or not Abraham and Rosita were able to start patching things up a little bit. Mm. And the moment much later on where Glenn knows all about how to fix an RV because Dale told him a hundred years ago, you Mm. know. Mm. All of that stuff actually starts to work now that they're a few seasons in. There's yes. a lot of discussion about... I mean, and we talked about the episode where it's just Carol and Daryl in the city on their own for an episode. It only works because they're two characters that have been around for so long and have got not just backstory, but have got shared backstory. Yeah. So I... when they have that sort of depth together, it works and it resonates. Yes. And they're starting to have more and more combinations where they can do that. Yes. There's a name for that particular trope where something happens in a really, really long time afterwards it has significance or maybe not even has significance but is referenced in some subtle way that okay. you know like the Glenn and the RV thing just the long payoff yeah the really long payoff I think it's called like Chekhov's shoe or something like that not Chekhov's you know, gun okay. no there's another one I'm pretty sure it's called Chekhov's shoe that's like takes a really long time to drop oh, that kind no, of thing the other shoe dropping oh, yeah like, something okay. like that I think the record is Terry Pratchett 13 years <laughs> <laughs> between one novel where something is well, set up and 13 years later, <laughs> it's finally resolved. Well, maybe Papa Lee's about to break that record. <laughs> maybe, maybe she is. <laughs> Back in the barn, Judith is crying 
Yeah. Rick is unsuccessfully trying to feed her oh, acorns. Like, with one hand, <laughs> with one hand with grinding them up. With one hand grinding them up. Or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hilt of his knife. Yeah. Yes. What a terrible plan. But I suppose it's a nice continuation of the idea that, like, a minute ago, this group was out of food and water. Could he not have just put her down? I mean, she was already crying. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's a dad from an advert. He's not, though. He's a dad who's had a child for a large part of the apocalypse. Yeah, why wouldn't you just put her down? Yes. I agree. She's crying away, and Aaron suggests that Rick should use the apple sauce that he brought with him, just to show that they have a source of apples near their group, because, you know, that'd be a swing vote for me. Well, it would be something. I mean, apples are... It's food you don't have to work for. It's food that you just go out and get. It's right there. That's important. It's what? like renewable energy. It's just food that happens on a clock. Yeah, and it, it's a bonus, but it's by no means what's going to make me decide one way or the other about a community. Well, no, but he had Which a whole... Which is why whole, I made the that, No, 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 he had a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. It was clearly part of a grand pitch yeah. that he had together. So yeah, yeah. that was what he was getting at, He's to show you we've got apple trees. Yeah, yeah. Clearly wasn't his whole pitch. It no, was no. part of it. And he having had a apple trees. backpack full of sails. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Rick eventually decides he will use the applesauce, but only if Aaron will have some first. Which is wise. The only misstep I thought Aaron made the whole time was, okay, you're not allergic to apples, you just don't like applesauce. Mm. I know, I would have succumbed much, just quick, much more quickly. eat it. I would have been like, alright, I hate this stuff. But had it, like, really quickly. Yeah, exactly. Why hold the whole thing up over that? Mm. Whatever. It made a cute thing about his mum, I suppose. Well, it was also, you know, oh, she made me things I didn't like to make me more manly. Let's just introduce the concept that maybe he might be gay now, so it's not a shock later on. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that. But Really? Yeah. Okay. First place my brain went. Okay. Plenty of manly gay guys. Yeah, but there's also plenty of non-manly gay guys. I'm speaking as a gay man, let me point out here, but stereotypes don't exist in a vacuum. Gay men tend to straddle the gender lines a little bit. Yeah, you're right, it's a strong trope. I just, it didn't register. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Good <one. laughs> At the cars, Rosita and Abraham have a, uh, a bit of sort of walker killing slash bonding. <laughs> it's really important to him to ask the question, when they are on their own for a moment... When I was at my worst over the whole Eugene thing, did you think I was going to hurt you? Mm. And she says she never thought that, because it's just not him. Apparently, doesn't hurt Rosita's, I don't know. Do you think that's what she meant when she said, it's not you? Because I thought that at first. But it might have been her saying, it's not you, it's me. Oh, as in the reason we're still having issues? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it's just another possible interpretation. What she actually said was, it's not you. And you're right, the first time I interpreted that as, I don't think it's you to kill me. But the other thing that occurred to me is that it could have just been a shorthand way of saying, it's not you, it's me who currently has a problem with this. I suppose that's possible as well. I just, applying Occam's razor, yeah. I think I'm going to go for the simplest solution for now. Sure. But it's certainly possible. You're getting into this speculation stuff, John. <laughs> While they're at the caravan, they find a heap of food, which they all bring back, and they made it back in the hour because Aaron doesn't have a knife in the base of his skull. And <laughs> Rick says, uh, this is ours now. <laughs> yes. So no matter what else happens, ours. Yes. Michonne really finally presses her case. Yeah. I thought she actually looked a bit crazy at this point. She looked manic about them all agreeing with her. And I understand that, and I thought it was the only point, but really her desperation for them to go to this place started to crack out of the seams a little bit as she was pushing her case. But obviously not enough that it put anyone off, because they all agreed. Even Daryl said, well, at least it won't smell as bad as here, or whatever it was he said. Except this place smells like horse shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> so Michonne convinces them all, and um, they're going to go check it out. I'm not sure if I am entirely in agreement with you about Michonne starting to look a bit crazy. She was certainly very, very enthusiastic about going. But I think... I don't think it crossed the line into crazy. Really? I th no. I, I think she, at the very least, walked the line. 
She may have walked up to the line and... And her bug eyes boggled right she, over She it. may have walked up to the line and stroked a little bit as she walked past, but I don't think she crossed it. I think what we were seeing was someone who, over the last couple of episodes, has been set up pretty solidly as Lady Hope. <laughs> Seeing this is the closest chance we're going to get to possibly some safety for a very long time. We need to check it out. She pushed, I think, as hard as she thought she needed to in order to get them there. And I don't think that that actually crossed the line into crazy. We'll have to agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> she looked proper desperate and manic. Well, maybe I just understand that then. I told you I was on Team Michonne pretty early on. Yeah. So, they agree they're going to go, but Aaron won't tell them the location of the camp. No. Which, from his point of view, makes a lot of sense. Again, one of those situations where you go, what would the team have done if they'd been in his position? Exactly. Exactly the same thing. Rick and him have a sort of negotiation slash face-off mm. about transport to the camp. Which way should we go? Well, we'll go in a similar direction, but not the same route. We should leave now? Well, we'll leave at dark. And, well, I should be driving. That's not happening. I thought Rick's plan generally was a good idea to not do whatever the suggestion was. The bit of it that I thought was bad was you want to arrive at the camp at dark. Why yeah. decide you're going to do most of the trip in the dark? Yeah. Like, why not travel to five miles from wherever the camp is, wait until it's dark, and do the last smallest leg in the dark? Yes, that would make a lot more sense. It was always going to be a risk with his plan, but everything that could have gone wrong with it did go wrong. <laughs> but that's, that's sort of par for the course yeah, for, for well, this world and these people, and that's what happens. <laughs> before they head off, though, Rick goes out to check the car, and Michonne follows him. She wants to clear up that they really are going to check out the camp with an open mind and with a thought that they might be going somewhere they could stay. Yeah. Not just him saying that in front of Aaron to throw him off. Yeah. And Rick expresses why he's got doubts about all of this. Mm, very understandable, reasonable yeah. doubts. Based on a whole lot of experience and based on that one thing that, that he can say that almost no one else can, which is... In a few hours, I've got to decide whether or not to walk my kids into this place. Mm. My baby into yeah. this place. I mean, the place could easily be another... It could easily be another Woodbury. Or Terminus, know. or... Or Terminus, or I whatever. mean, think about how smiley the Terminus people were when you turned up. Or yeah. how smiley the governor was. Yep. So we jump ahead to the nighttime drive. As they're heading along, Aaron is still doing the sales pitch. And he's talking to Michonne about his house. That gets her looking at more of the pictures, and she notices that there's no people in any of the pictures. Mm. Which is a little ominous, but not impossible. It's not impossible, but she's seriously worried by it. Mm. You can see on her face. Her first reaction to that is to immediately go to, did you ask the questions? Yeah. For someone who cited people as the most important part of his community, to then not have any at all in the pictures mm. is odd. Yes. It seems incongruous. Yes. And, I, and you're right, it instantly sets off. It's a good sign that Michonne's not totally crazy about this. Well, that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Is that is the strongest evidence for me that Michonne was not crossing the line into crazy. Mm. Is that her alarm bells were still well and truly set to go off at the first sign of weird. Yeah. And that was a sign of weird that she immediately pounced on. And so they ask the three questions. Before we get to his answers... They give these questions in almost magical place. Like, oh, if we ask these three questions, then we'll be able to make some sort of judgment. And well, no, it's not I mean, really clear are... how they do that yet. Well, no, but there are answers that you can get by which you know that someone is bullshitting you. That's like, true. That which I thought was the key point of the questions. Basically, if anyone says they haven't killed any walkers, then unless you've been like Gabriel and locked yourself in a church yeah. for fucking a year or whatever it was mm -hmm. you know they're bullshitting you yeah and if they say they haven't killed any people then you could also kind of go well that's pretty fucking unlikely too yeah and the last question of course which is you know why did you kill the people if you did kill people is important as well i think it's more about weeding out people who are very bad at yes. <laughs> pretending to be the kind of person that you would want in your group. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It mostly weeds out bad liars. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. I suppose it's a fine enough thing to weed out. He gets asked the three questions. His answers are as follows. How many walkers have you killed? Lots. How many people? Two. And why? Because they tried to kill him. What did you think? They all sounded plausible to me. 
they weren't the wrong answers. Mm. There's any number of right answers you could have, but there is a finite number of wrong ones, and there weren't any of them. That's true. They also find his listening device, Mm. which looked a little bit like it needed to be battery-powered, and I'm beginning to wonder... Like, I understand this is meant to be a big set-up community, but they're developing photos, and they've got a surgeon. Like, what machines is this surgeon using? Because, frankly, without a whole lot of modern machines, most surgeons are just GPs. Maybe that's underselling surgeons. No, I think what it's underselling is the possibility that you could have an enclave, which was quite well-resourced. Mm. I mean, you know, even a moderately a moderately sized supermarket is supposed to service quite a few thousand people. So say you've got a community of 100. Mm. With the reserves in a supermarket, you could keep going for a long, long time. So for stuff like batteries in particular, for that kind of stuff, you'd have batteries for a very, very long time. There's not a lot of tools these days that you would be putting batteries into. I reckon it's totally plausible that they would have batteries and would totally use them in if they had a tool like that. A, what are they called? Directional microphone? Something like that. And, I mean, for a surgeon to have the tools that a surgeon would need to be more than a GP, all they need is a generator. And Woodbury had one of them. That's Um, true, I suppose. You know, and we've already established that fuel is actually quite plentiful. You know, basically every car you come across has got some in the tank. Well, unless Abraham needs it for a particular dramatic reason. (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) That's right. They've got to stop letting that guy drive. (laughs) That's right. So anyway, I think it's actually not at all implausible that it may be a very well-resourced community. Particularly if it's based in some kind of town that would have had, like, a supermarket. Maybe a couple of hardware stores with generators. Yeah, and and other towns not that far away. That's true. they could have raided. That's true. I'm underselling it. So, as they are freaking out about the microphone again and his creepy stalker tactics, they hit a herd. (laughs) Hit is the operative word there. (laughs) Glenn just keeps going. I assume that car's windscreen wipers weren't working. Yeah. Because otherwise, that was an odd choice. Maybe they snapped off. Yeah, that's all I can You know, with the first couple of walkers, maybe if they sort of rolled off the windscreen, they managed to take the windscreen wipers. Take out the wipers. So at any rate, they keep ploughing through the herd, because I guess Glenn thinks, well, in for a penny. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really, it's quite scary. I mean, obviously it's the scariness of the walkers themselves, but that sort of added terror of driving at speed without really being able to see where you're going. I mean, anyone who's driven through fog has experienced that, Mm. and it is quite nerve-wracking. They notice that the caravan hasn't followed them. Yes. So they're separated, and that's a worry, but obviously there's the more immediate problem of the herd to get through. And they basically experience a red out as the windscreens get slowly, completely pasted. Mm. I found the whole thing really enjoyable. <laughs> Once they're through the herd, they stop and try and see where the caravan's gone, but they can't, and it's all a bit worrying. And then a flare goes up from back where they were. Mm. And that gets Aaron freaking out. Yeah, he really, really freaks out. He basically goes, everything's off, I'm going. Mm. Why? Well, I think that the flares are a signal between him and Eric that one of them's in trouble. Actually, that makes total sense. So Eric put the flare up when he got injured. Yes. And like, I need to get out of there, I've got to go help this guy. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, given how we see them interact later on. Exactly. Not just Abraham, but Glenn as well has the magic touch with cars because this one <laughs> won't start again. Although when Michonne went round and started pulling whole arms out of the radiator, I thought, okay, maybe I'll give him this one. <laughs> <laughs> the cars are no go and the herd's heading towards them, so they head off into the woods. And this is where the nighttime drive decision really comes into its own. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary. I mean, yeah. the whole running through the woods in the dark... They did make it really properly dark for a lot of the scenes, so... Again, you have a thing of only seeing where the next zombie is as you headshot the one you've seen before. Not quite as bad as when Beth and Noah were going through the cellar in the hospital. Dead Eye Beth. (laughs) Dead Eye in pitch darkness. Yeah, infrared Beth. That's right. Like, that was actually crazily impossible. This was not quite as bad as that, but... (laughs) At least we weren't asked to believe that Glenn has night vision eyes. (laughs) 
Well, the last time with Beth did give us a series of really good shots. It's true. And this one gave us the flare through the eyeball kill. <laughs> yes. And it was magnificent. It was glorious. It was. It looked like the kind of shit you see in, at Halloween, you know, these glowing skulls yeah. hanging from someone's porch or something. It's fantastic. <laughs> Glenn gets separated from the group, but then he comes across Aaron. Mm-hmm. And you can see him debate whether or not he's going to save Aaron. Mm. But it's Glenn, so he does. Aww. Which I was very glad about. Yeah, I was too. He's still Glenn at heart. Yes. So he saves Aaron, and they team up and go save the group. Well, Glenn even gives him a weapon. He does, yeah. Mm. Although Rick takes it straight back as soon as he does. saving well, is done. Well, no, no, no. Aaron puts it down straight away. That's true. As that's soon true. as he doesn't need it anymore, he puts it down. Yeah, because he's the consummate salesman. Mm. They have a look around and work out the point that the other group would have picked to regroup. Mm. And it's basically the only landmark that everyone can see and it's a water tower. So they head off towards it and there's a bit of whistle theatre to say who it is who's approaching. And in they go and the whole group's there and everyone seems to be safe. Including another new person, Eric, Mm. who the other group has saved and bandaged up his stuffed up ankle. Mm. Aaron and Eric kiss. I think they might be lovers. <laughs> Slight hint there. I know, right? I'm so good at picking this shit up. I know, right? Yeah. Your gaydar's really improved. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, they reunite, and I think the main thing to say about them reuniting, although there's sort of lots of sweet stuff in there, is that they act so human. They do. In fact, I actually found myself kind of going, wow, they're really laying it on thick, aren't they? Not the characters, the writers. Really laying it on thick. Yeah. Um, they had the cutesy number plate collecting yes, stuff. And the, you that's know. right. And but I think what they were laying on thick was because they didn't have much time to do it in. I think back to your comments when they were back in the hospital, comparing the group who's just lost Beth in the corridor mm. and who are broken about it. Mm. And the comment that the hospital people just seem totally emotionally dead about the whole... I mean, shocked and horrified, but no one's upset about Dawn being no. there. One group seemed so human, and the other group didn't. Mm. And so they didn't have much time to do it in, and I agree, they basically laid it on a bit thick. But what they did was establish that whoever this group is at Alexandria, they've got at least two humans in it. Yes. With a genuine connection to each other, and... Yes. During that scene, I did think Aaron and Eric could easily have been replaced with Maggie and Glenn, and it would have fitted almost perfectly. Yeah. And yes, you're right, it was a very, very human moment, a human interaction, and really, as you say, served to contrast them with other people that they've encountered in the past who have seemed less than human. Yes. And Rick observes. He's standing in that doorway, and he he sees a good portion of that conversation. I think it does matter to him that these are seemingly two normal human people. Throughout all of this, his primary concern has been his kids. Mm. And I expect the fervour which he feels towards protecting his children, he was probably able to see parallels between that and the relief that Aaron clearly felt at finding Eric okay and Mm. his distress at seeing his broken ankle and, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I think that was... Rick saw that in order to see the humans that were there and be able to identify somewhat with them. Yeah. And it is, the scene immediately after that is when Rick and because of him the rest of the group basically decide, okay, we're going to trust these guys as far as it goes. They let them, you know, not sleep tied up in a corner. And Well, Rick doesn't want to do that initially. No, he does have they, to be convinced. Yeah, but they do convince him. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that it was Glenn that convinced him. Yeah. You know, the one other person with a partner, pretty much the only couple really in the group. And one of them was the one to go, actually, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, (laughs) given how they feel about each other and one of them's got a broken ankle, they're not doing anything. (laughs) This is also the scene where we get what for you is just letting you know the name of the community, but what for comic readers is a massive title drop. (laughs) Because they're about to be at Alexandria. Seeing as I don't read the comics. Yeah. Without giving any spoilers away, can you explain any of the significance of the name Alexandria? All I'll say is that In the comic books, and there's no way to know that it'll be the same, but it's an extended and important storyline. Extended enough to stretch into the next season? Potentially, yeah. Mm, And it's also important in terms of it really moves the story on to a next level. Cool. 
Interesting. Yeah. Assuming they use it correctly, it's going to provide them with a whole lot of really interesting stuff to do with the characters. Mm. So, anyway, that's all very exciting. And I will contain myself from now on. (laughs) The next day, they're driving along in the caravan, and Eric's in the back, laid out, injured. Noah comes through to give some painkillers to Aaron, and Aaron asks him about how he injured his leg. I hadn't really been paying attention in the hospital, but I'd assumed he'd injured his leg when he dropped in the lift shaft. But apparently it existed from before that. It existed from a car accident that occurred with his father. Yeah, I assumed it was from the lift shaft as well, actually. Yeah, but that's not what he said there when the guy asked him. And now I'm thinking back, I think maybe he had a limp in the hospital beforehand. Mm. Whatever. Can't remember. I'm yet to care about Noah. (laughs) That's... Actually, that's a lie. I want Noah to be important. I just... Well, they've only got so much screen time and they just haven't found any to devote to him yet. They gave him a tiny bit this episode. And to be fair, except for Rick, pretty much everyone got a tiny bit this a episode. A tiny bit. Carol was, and her one line. <laughs> yeah, it was doled out thin. Mm. So Aaron's getting Noah's hopes up about the spectacular surgeon in the community. Mm. And I just, whenever they get Noah's hopes up, I worry for the boy. Bad times ahead. Anyway, we get Eugene's one line, basically, and it's him describing an elaborate game of cards that he's going to make them all play. <laughs> but maybe that's the sort of stuff Eugene enjoys, given his brain for detail. Yes. Rosita and Abraham are sitting up the front, and they see Washington. Mm. I thought that was a really nice moment. It was. Well, how long have they been looking for him? I mean, recently, obviously, it became a lot less important. But for a really long time, that had been their goal and their destination, and it seems really close now. Yeah. It was one of those moments where, as soon as they weren't holding on to it so hard, it came to them easily. Mm. Well, I suppose, I think there might be an aspect of, well, botch kettle never boils. Yeah. If you're going to be pining after something, of course it's going to seem like forever until you get it. Yeah. I thought it was a really touching moment, and it was a moment of warmth between them. Yeah. After... Whichever interpretation we take from the earlier conversation, Mm. there's obviously been tension between them since what happened with Eugene, and, you know, rightly so. Of course. And maybe that's starting to ebb away a little bit. Sure. Because they do have this really long history together. Yep. (laughs) They've got a really long history. (laughs) Of a year and a half, yeah. (laughs) Well, of a year and a half, and finding a certain amount of comfort in each other's arms, and being aware that Eugene was watching them the whole time. That's true. (laughs) Wouldn't that be weird if that had kind of developed into something they needed in order for it to work? Yes, it would have been. (laughs) Maybe it's the unspoken thing neither of them wants to admit. It's like, I'm sorry. It's a good thing you didn't kill Eugene. Because we we can only have sex if he's watching. point I really did think okay the writers of this show are just fucking with us with the dramatically appropriate cards mm-hmm. Abraham and his whole oh no we'll be fine looking at the engine <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> but it did allow for the sweet moment where Glenn knew all about how to fix an RV and how to get out the second battery so that was nice mm. so they get the engine going again and for once the stopped car serves as only a chance for people to have a couple of heartfelt conversations <laughs> yes, and there was no surprise moment. walker attack or... yeah Surprise revelation that someone isn't who they said they are, or... (laughs) While the battery changeover is happening, Mick and Rashone have a conversation, and she talks about... She understands the importance of the fight, and Mm. how easy it is to hold on to it when it's what's kept you alive. Yep, but Um, then it turns on you. Yeah, and she... I mean, she obviously experienced that to an extreme extent. Mm. And he did to some extent when he was going into the full Rick Tater mode. But it shouldn't be forgotten that there is the first part of the conversation where it keeps you alive. Yes. Well, it's this dichotomy, isn't it? It's the the fight is what keeps you alive, but it's also what keeps things from getting better, potentially. If yeah. it keeps everyone away, it's keeping away the good and the bad. Yeah. And this whole season has been about, essentially, different members of the group having some version of that debate with mm. Rick. Whether it's Glenn or Bob or Michonne mm. or Tyrese... Mm. it's been about the group having that debate and Rick weighing it up. Mm. And I thought it was interesting, his I need a moment, and you think he's just going to go off and, I don't know, meditate for ten minutes or something. To be honest, I thought he was trying to take a slash. (laughs) 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 I Um, thought for a moment, 
Or are we going to watch him pee? <laughs> eh, he's not Tom Hanks. So, he goes off into, just off the road, and finds a shack and some sort of piles of rubbish outside it. When he took a gun and hid it inside that blender, mm. I was reminded of during the prison when he sort of set his gun aside and became the farmer. Mm-hmm. He stopped wearing his gun belt and he deliberately laid it aside. But then when the prison fell, he instantly took it back up again. Mm. And you got the impression that really he had only ever set it aside, not given it up for good. Sure. So I got the impression that was sort of, it was symbolic of listening to Michonne and saying, okay, so I can't take the fight with me into this place, but I can't give it up entirely either. Mm. So I'm setting it aside here for a little while. Yeah, I suppose that's a way of looking at it. To be honest, that didn't occur to me at all. I just assumed that he was putting a gun there in case they had to make an escape. I think it works on a tactical level too. Yeah, but I think I'm not entirely sure that that wasn't just all he was thinking. I'm not sure that at any level this was a sign of acceptance of what Michonne was saying. I mean, you could be right. I just... That he put it there as a precaution, I think, is the only thing we can be sure about. Okay. I think the acceptance part comes later. Certainly, there is a later part, which is they arrive, and he is so tense. You get that really close-up shot of his face as Mm. they're right outside the community. The gates do look formidable, and it looks properly set up. And as he's sitting there looking so ready for a fight. Yeah. And so on edge. They start to hear kids playing inside. Mm. Yeah. And, you and when can... you think back to his conversation with Michonne about what could you tell about Wardbury? What could you silence. tell about... Yeah, there was silence. Well, here there's not silence. Here mm. there is kids playing. And there aren't too many really horrible places where kids get to laugh and play. Mm. It was also the answer to the question when he says to Michonne earlier on, I'm not sure there's anything that's going to convince me to go through those gates. Mm. But the sound of children's laughter, and clearly, by extension, hearing so close the possibility that his children could be that happy, Mm. could be secure enough to laugh loudly without the fear of attracting a walker, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, it was good. Not to piss on this picnic too much. Mm. Is it a good security choice to have the kids playing noisily near the gate? (laughs) It was the one thing I thought, given what Aaron said earlier in the episode about how if you come to Alexandria, you know, we can give you a place where you don't have to be afraid that walkers will hear her cry. I did sort of think, isn't that exactly where you put the children as well? Yeah. You know, so that they could laugh and shout and without... (laughs) attracting walkers because children are loud. Yeah. So yes, there was that slight incongruity there. All things considered, though. All things considered, I'm willing to overlook it as a plot device. Because it worked so well dramatically. It did work so well dramatically. And those few seconds in which you stare into Rick's eyes, Mm -hmm. as you see him kind of give in to hope, you know, you know that he's been holding it off all this time. Yeah. Because it's... The hope that potentially gets him and his children killed. Yeah. And it's at that moment that you're staring into his eyes that you can see him finally give in to just a glimmer of hope that this is real. Yeah, it was very well done. And in a similar way, I'm willing to overlook his awful, awful child car safety option. <laughs> yes. Because it gave the moment where you see him choosing to take his child, pick up the baby, and walk towards the gates. Mm. So, you know, maybe that did lay it on a bit thick. But I liked that all they did was show it, not say it. Yes. And I did think that the moment where they stopped just outside the gate and Michonne looks at Rick and can see that he's obviously feeling some very strong feelings and she reaches over and puts her hand on his for a few seconds. I suppose on one level, there's a certain reassurance that if it is all a fucking trap, then... Don't worry, I'm still a crazy lady with a sword. (laughs) That's right. Don't worry, I will take down as many of those fuckers as I can before they get to your children. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. But I think it was, it was a sort of welcome to hope kind of hand grab. It was nice. His kids are really good. They're really good for a plot like this because they absolutely crystallise his need to protect. Yeah. But his need to protect is much broader than them. So in a way, the fact that he's the last in the group to give up that extreme hypervigilance mm. and the worry for everyone that things might be about to be terribly wrong for them, mm-hmm. it makes sense that the leader is the last person of to give that up. Absolutely. So he goes and gets Judith and they're heading off towards the gates and as they're heading off, 
Carol gets her one line <laughs> where she says that even though he was wrong, he was right. It was good. It was a nice little affirmation of even if this turns out to have been a good place to come to, mm. all of your caution was the right choice. <laughs> And I'll burn any of these fuckers I need to. <laughs> That's right. Do you reckon, um, I've forgotten the name of the actress who plays Carol. Uh, Melissa McBride. Yes. Do you remember that scene in Black Books where the guy with the voice... Peter Serafino is. Yes. When he's got one line in a play and he's repeating it in the mirror to himself. I shall do so immediately, sir. I shall do so immediately, sir. I shall do so immediately, sir. <laughs> Do you reckon Carol was doing that in the lead up to this episode? Uh, I think she looked at the script two minutes before she walked on. Like, okay, I've got it. Here we oh, go. no, I kind of like the idea that she was going, though you were wrong, you were right. Though you were wrong, you were right. Though you were wrong, you were right. <laughs> then picked the best. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that we're never going to see those outtakes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I reckon I quite enjoy it. So we're all lined up outside the gates. Yes. And the episode comes to a close. And we're just going to have to wait till next week to see what happens inside. <laughs> you know how Norman Reedus mm. and Andrew Lincoln have a very good friendship off screen? Yes. <laughs> Norman Reedus likes to try and throw Andrew Lincoln off his game while he's acting. <laughs> and apparently he does this some of the time by mooning him. <laughs> I wonder whether during that shot where all you can see is Andrew Lincoln's eyes, he may in fact be staring at Norman Reedus's ass cheeks. <laughs> no, we can't hope. <laughs> because I reckon if I was looking at his ass cheeks, I might have a, a look of growing hope in my eyes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, did you have any questions? Oh, yes, I do. Ah. Michonne and Rick's relationship. Are you starting to see sparks? Sparks in terms of conflict or sparks in terms of feelings? In terms of feelings. With a capital <laughs> F. Oh, capital F? Huh? Uh-huh. Mm, there are other things that start with F too. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, not really. No. No. It's an area of increasing speculation on the interwebs. Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> My straight dar is not amazing. <laughs> okay. So, it could just be that I'm not picking up on it. I can certainly see that there is there is interpersonal stuff going on there. And... <laughs> Sound like you, Gene. Yeah, I know. I can tell there's a thing happening that involves feelings and that's all. Yeah. <laughs> No, look, I think the fact that Michonne really pushes it in this episode. Yep. And, you know, is specifically pushing against Rick. Mm-hmm. You can only do that if you have a good relationship with someone, pretty much. If you have an understanding about what each other is about and if you have respect. So, I think there's certainly a closeness there. Because I don't think that he would have put up with that from someone that he didn't have a lot of respect for and whose judgement he also didn't respect. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, basically she's putting the complete opposite view to what his instincts are telling him. Yeah. So he must hold her judgment in pretty high regard to be able to go, this is totally against what I want to do, but I'm willing to go, well, actually, that's a possibility, even though it's totally counter to yeah. what my instincts tell me to do. On that basis, I think that's a solid foundation for some feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't discount it. Yeah, I agree that they're basically at a sort of foundation stage. There's no sort of lingering glances or anything. I think the internet just wants Rick to have someone. It would be nice. Which is a fair enough thing to want, I suppose. He's got his beard. I'm happy with it. (laughs) Rick and Rick's beard. Rick's beard is almost a character. A love of the ages. Yeah. (laughs) But that closeness is absolutely there. And Mm. to a level that Rick doesn't really have with many other members of the group. Maybe Daryl. I think that he and Daryl... I don't think that's going to happen. No. I think that he and Daryl and he and Glenn and he and, in some ways, Carol, they all have a genuine closeness. And perhaps one that's even just born out of having been in the original group. Mm. But Michonne's the one he would express his doubts and fears to about his family. Yeah. Michonne's the one he wants to stay with Carl when they all go off to Atlanta. Yeah. You know? I feel like there's an extra level there. 
Mm. Perhaps born out of the fact that she's the one who came and found them when him and Carl were stuck in that house alone. Yeah. I think the tendency to leave her as the protector of his children might have something to do with the fact that she's a crazy lady with a fuck-off sword. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Daryl's a crazy dude with a fuck-off crossbow. Yeah, I, I, I know. And it's still I, I know. That was, I know. That was, that was tongue-in-cheek. Clearly coupled with respect for her fighting abilities, there is trust that I can leave my kids with you and I know you will die before something happens to them. Yeah. And I think a huge amount of it is about how genuine her connection with Carl is. Mm. The way to Rick's heart is through his kids. <laughs> Yes, of course. Mm. And Michonne has a really genuine connection Mm. to Carl and Judith. When she cries when holding Judith way back in the prison, obviously there's a lot of her stuff going on there, but I think at that time there is a bond forged with Judith. Mm. I think at that moment she may be making a pact with herself, not again. Yeah. That this won't happen again. Yeah. And we've seen her be a kind of a guide to Carl as well. Mm. Um, Oh, certainly. Over the seasons, you know, the way that she would take time out to talk to him about things, Mm. I think shows that she really genuinely cares about him. Yeah. And you're right, the way way to Rick's heart is definitely through his kids. (laughs) Because, you know, if you're going to pursue Rick, then you've got to know that that's a package. Yeah. If you're going to decide that you love Rick, then you also have to decide that you're going to love and protect his children. Yeah. And she's on the road to doing that, (laughs) if that's where they're going. I think if what happens in this community is that they have any sort of space to not be terrified and be on the run, Mm. they have any sort of space for a little while, Mm. then we could see a real reforming of some of the relationships within the group. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly the groundwork there for Mm. Rick and Michonne to become a thing. Mm. But I don't think it's there yet. No, no. I think the internet's a little trigger happy. Oh, sure. But the ground is fertile. Certainly. Yeah. What was your standout moment from this episode? My standout moment, I think, is at the gate, at the end, when you see Rick let go, Mm -hmm. and you see Hope take hold. It could be that, you know, it's all for naught, but I think there is beauty in Hope. I think it was a really touching moment. It seemed to connect to a part of himself that he has not allowed himself to feel for a very long time. Hmm. I think that was really quite beautiful. Hmm. Do you have one? Yeah, I have, well, I think every week I'm going to ask you what your standout moment was. (laughs) And I always get first pick because of that. No, no, no. And then I think the most appropriate question for me is actually, what was your, that was fucking awesome moment? (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. How is that different from a standout moment? Because you'd never pick the quiet, beautiful moments as the, that was fucking awesome moment. Mm. Well, it depends on your definition of awesome. Yeah. Also, also it doesn't have to be action-packed. You'd never call Beth's death, that was fucking awesome. No, that's true. No, you're right. It's fucking awesome storytelling. Alright, what was your fucking awesome moment? Glenn driving through the hood. (laughs) In the rented-out car. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just, particularly when he just kept going. I was like, oh, he's just, he's committing to this. I love it. Well, you kind of have to keep going, don't oh, you? Yeah, you have to keep going until you're not hitting walkers anymore. Yeah. Because as long as you're hitting walkers, you're still in the herd. Yeah. So. I mean, I think you made the right choice, but it was just <laughs> one of those moments where you're like, really, this is my only option? Okay. <laughs> I loved how much <laughs> his terror and blind panic was conveyed. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Zombie kill of the week? Well, it has to be. Flare skull zombie. That's true. Now, I'll remind you that you have a carryover kill of the week from last week. Do you care to award a second kill? Um, There was one other before we saw the flare skull walker Mm -hmm. kill. (laughs) But I'm having difficulty now remembering what it was because the flare kill was just so amazing. (laughs) It's driven out all other memories of zombie kills. Nah, it's gone. They've all paled into insignificance in comparison with the bright spark that was the flare kill. Score out of ten? I really liked this episode. Mm. I'd probably give it eight and a half. Yeah, that's what I'm giving it. I liked it as much as last week, which I gave eight and a half. I I liked it more than last week's episode. And I only gave seven and a half last week, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like they're getting up a good head of steam here. Mm. Yeah, eight and a half. Solid. Cool. I liked in particular that they were able to focus quite strongly on one character's development, which is something they've done a lot this season. Pick out one or two characters to really hone in on. Yep. 
But they're able to do it without having to send them off on their own for some reason. Yes. How does that person work within the whole group? Mm. And can we still see little bits of other members of the group progressing? Mm. That was good. Mm. Obviously, there's some sort of rule that only Gabriel or Noah can have any sort of character progression in any given episode. <laughs> yes. Between them, they're almost a real character. <laughs> oh, AMC. The racist network. <laughs> yeah. They've improved a lot from the earlier seasons. I mean, a lot of it is that I'm hyper aware of it because of how bad the first few seasons were. Yeah. Because they do, they've got, you know, a multicultural long-term cast. But then you look at numbers of deaths, white versus black, numbers of genuine characters, white versus black, mm. and the numbers don't add up well. No. And particularly African Americans just seem to get screwed. Hopefully, we'll have two fully-fledged characters in the not-too-distant future. In the not-too-distant Just in time future. for Noah to be horribly, horribly killed. Well, I was going to say. And then, of course, at least one of them will die. At least one. As soon as they become of any significance. Maybe Gabriel will kill Noah to absorb his character. <laughs> I think that's less than likely. Mind you, the writers might, in essence, do that. Yeah. You could just imagine Noah dying in one episode and the next one magically being all about Gabriel. No. Oh, well. At least Gabriel didn't sing and dance about the miracle hurricane. Gabriel didn't say anything in this episode. I was right, really he happy. Actually. He was almost not there. It's like one shot. Yeah. Probably why I came in such a high rating this yes, episode. It does seem to be an inverse relationship. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. Bye! Fuckity bye! The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Hi. Correct response, Judith. <laughs> the knowing everyone's name thing is really creepy. Yep. Wow. So we're clear. That look wasn't a let's attack that man look. It wasn't, he seems like an okay guy to me look. <laughs> Hope speaks. <laughs> Worlds, you just 12 year old. <laughs> I'll put a knife in the base of your skull. Bye. You like this. I love it. That's the correct response. Fire. Did you see the um, social media this week about Aaron? Tell the truth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <Capital>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. This is Turn on the windscreen wipers! I was about to say, windscreen wipers, they Oh, Jesus. Fucking hell. Oh, it's the worst. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fucking hell. Wow. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's ah. just amazing. <laughs> oh. oh, fuck. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. I'm behind them on my back. Eric, I'm okay. To gaze. So, John, I, mean, I know you have a bit of radar for these things, but do you think you might be gay? <laughs> it's small We have a pretty gifted surgeon in Alexandria. Oh, no. This one's going to shit on you from a great height. <laughs> so very quiet. Ooh. Ooh. Ah.